like to introduce the chairman of the Board of Alcoholics Anonymous, the very Reverend Ward B. Ewing. My name is uh, Ward Ewing, and I'm a Class A trustee and privileged to serve this fellowship. Um, and uh, Dean did throw in the title, Very Reverend. I, I want to emphasize that that's a title, not a description. Uh, um, and um, I am an ordained Episcopal priest, which is part of the Anglican Church of Canada. And um, uh, that's the title of someone who's a head of one of the theological schools. And for the last 10 years, uh, I was head of our, one of our theological schools that was located in Manhattan in New York City. And I think they hired me as a trustee because it cost them a subway fare for me to go to all the meetings <laughs> instead of plane fares, you know. Um, and... Uh, but I am now retired, and my wife and I live in East Tennessee in the mountains. Um, the, you may have heard of the Smoky Mountains, which are gorgeous. I want to share a little bit about myself, and then I will talk a little bit about general service. I welcome questions at any time. Um, and then if we have some time, I'll talk a little bit about spirituality and religion, which is an issue that as I've traveled uh, to a variety of these functions in this fellowship, I found is of concern to many. Um, as I said, I, I am an ordained Episcopal minister. I served for 30 years in congregations. Um, and in the early part of my ministry, I would have to say I was as good an enabler as you could find <laughs> when it comes to alcoholism. Uh, one of the things that clergy train for is to be pastors, to be helpful to people. Do you know how destructive being helpful to people can be? <laughs> Y'all know better than most groups I talk with. Um, and, and we take a certain amount of pride in that. And, and when clergy would get together, uh, we would talk about all of the calls we've gotten in the 2 a.m. calls and how we have to get up and go visit these folks. And, and I would get 2 a.m. calls from women who a group two or three women had gotten together and they were unhappy about their marriages and they would give me a call at two o'clock in the morning and I would get up and get dressed and go sit and listen to them and provide them brilliant counsel and <laughs> the next morning they wouldn't even remember that I'd been there <laughs> we had moved to uh, Jenny and I and children had moved to uh, Louisville Kentucky and in a small parish I began to have a different view of this illness. And I saw families that were coming apart. Uh, I was in my mid-30s by that point. Uh, and somehow that's a, a time when things, particularly most my peers, are changing. Uh, I, in the youth group, would hear children talk about the problems in their family. And, and the word alcohol seemed to crop up from time to time with that. And my eyes were really opened that, that this wasn't just something that happened occasionally. 
that alcoholism was a real illness and that it was causing pain and destruction and, and even death within my congregation. So I figured I needed to find out something about this illness and I went to the experts. I started attending AA meetings because you know. Now that would have been in the mid-70s uh, to late-70s and those were pretty smoky. In fact, if you sat, I only went to open meetings and if you sat in the back of the room, you might not even be able to see the speaker. <laughs> and, and I would come home at night and, and I would say, Jenny, I'm home. And she would say, yes, I smell you. <clears throat> Take off your clothes, leave them outside, which was a very mixed message. Uh, <laughs> I began taking some courses as well. Um, the uh, uh, University of Louisville had some incredibly good work and conferences and, and uh, weekend conferences for clergy uh, and working in, in alcoholism. Uh, I took some courses. Uh, about 1980, a member of the congregation who was also a member of AA, name was Willie, uh, walked into my office one day. Uh, I mean, he knew I'd been going to meetings and, and learning, and by that time, I'm kind of involved with you. Um, and Willie walks into the office, and he comes in, and he says, Ward, you're the spiritual expert, right? I don't think I answered him. Uh, he went on, and he said, I'm out of touch with my higher power. And the last time I was out of touch with my higher power, I drank. And if I drink again, I may die. I need you to put me back in touch with God. And I don't need to say to you that you know he was truly deadly serious. So we talked, and then we met again and talked, and we decided that what we needed was a, a group of, of folks, that, that just he and I talking wasn't going to be enough, and that we needed a group who could deal with the issues of spirituality and alcoholism. And so we invited a half a dozen members of AA who had at least five years sobriety who would like to talk about the spiritual issues in their lives. And every Tuesday afternoon, we met for an hour uh, until I moved from that uh, five years later when we moved away. And the spiritual export, expert got transformed by that group. Um, Today, I would call it an 11-step group, and, and part of what happened in my life after that in congregations was, was in fact, to, to develop some 11-step groups and to work with, with other groups. I never go to closed meetings. I only go to open meetings. Uh, but um, uh, that involvement in this fellowship changed my life, and that small group that met every Tuesday afternoon was the group that taught me how to really live the 12 steps. I've always considered Willie my first sponsor. Um, we didn't formalize that, but he clearly was, um, and and it uh, it it gave me a kind of strength and a and a spiritual program that I had never found in the church, and which allowed me to to function in in some very difficult situations sometimes and let go and let God and take it a day at a time and 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 how are we doing today and not worry about the crises that's on the horizon except to deal with what you can today and. It's just a different way of living. 
I wrote it down because it was such so good. I, I get these things that today's a gift, not a given, you know, and to begin to live that uh, really is, it's incredibly wonderful. Uh, the gifts I've received from this fellowship uh, strengthened my marriage, strengthened my ministry, changed my life. Uh, so when I was interviewing to be a, invited as a Class A trustee, uh, I remember the question that was asked. I said, uh, why would you want to do this? And I apparently gave the right answer uh, <laughs> because I said out of gratitude. For the thanks for the gift that you have given to me. I am so grateful uh, to be a part of this fellowship. Uh, I'm also grateful that I didn't have to pay the dues to get in. <laughs> you know, this, this is a tough entrance. It's not just a matter of life and death for those who are blessed with this illness of alcoholism. It's a matter of life and death. What kind of quality of life one wants, wants to live, to live out and, and work this spiritual program of the 12 steps. Let me talk a little bit about the general service. The um, general service conference, I think most of you, I hope most of you know, has 21 trustees. Uh, 14 of those are boozers, class B's, and seven of us are amateurs, class A's. One of the advantages, or one of the differences that class A trustees have is we don't have to worry about anonymity. Our picture can appear in the paper with my name under it, and that's not a violation of any tradition. And that is, is one of the gifts that we can bring to this fellowship. Uh, in San Antonio, uh, I interfaced with the press at San Antonio, as did other Class A trustees, and that's part of what we can do. Uh, to be a part of a public information uh, that the press finds a little more acceptable. You know, they have a hard time uh, honoring anonymity and sometimes there are anonymity breaks that are not the fault of the person in AA at all but that the press went behind the scene got the name took a picture I mean it's just it's difficult so that's one of the things that we are able to do and I know I can speak for all the class A's when I say we get more out of our service on this board than we give there's no question about it but the Class A's are chosen because they represent a particular professional field. Uh, I'm obviously out of the field of, of the religious. Uh, we have judge uh, from drug court. Uh, we have those who are involved in treatment. We have a, a doctor whose, whose work is with impaired physicians. Uh, and, and let me tell you, his stories are really something. Uh, and it makes you a little scary, a doctor. But... Uh, the, um, and, and so on, so that they represent a variety of, of the professional fields uh, that through the election process of, of trustees might not serve on the board. Um, the um, other trustees, we have the at-large Canada and at-large U.S. Uh, we have general service trustees whose job is particularly to work with uh, our two corporations, the, the uh, AA Grapevine and AA World Service, AA World Service, which publishes the big book and, and, and the pamphlets and the other books, largely publishing uh, arm of, of AA, and then, of course, the Grapevine, which also do, so oversees Lavinia. Uh, and, and then there are regional trustees, and, and the, the trustees spend, particularly the Class B trustees, spend hours at work. The regional trustees, like Dean uh, 
Dean, no, you're, you're a delegate. Delegates spend a lot of time, but the regional trustees will attend meetings in, throughout the region, throughout the year, uh, kind of looking at their schedules. And I think they probably give about 500 hours a year. Uh, it's really an amazing uh, gift to, to this fellowship that your trustees do. I've been involved with this fellowship for 30-some years and, and knew nothing about the service structure. And suddenly I'm a trustee and I still knew nothing about the service structure. And uh, I don't think I really understood how AA works at all until I went to the first conference, which I'd been a trustee for, you're elected at the conference, so your term as a trustee begins after conference. So I'm a trustee a year before I went to my first conference. And, and the conference begins by the trustee committees, which are the same as the conference committees, meeting with the conference committees and reporting back, here's, here's what you ask us to do Here's what we got done. Here's what we're bringing back to you. We think needs some tweaking or some change. Uh, and that's our report. And for the first time, I suddenly realized the conference really does run this fellowship. And the conference comes from you through, through your district, through your area, to the region, to the delegate. Uh, it, it's, and, and you are the head. And as, as most of you know, our organizational chart is an inverted triangle. And at the top of the triangle are the groups. And the bottom of the triangle is the general service board. And at the bottom of that is the chair. So I am uh, either the bottom of the bottom or I prefer the servant of the servants. And the trustees, which meet four times a year, have committees that are parallel to the conference committees are, are the grunts who try to move, stand between the conference and the staff and together uh, do the work that conference gives us to do. Uh, the other function of the trustees is to oversee the two corporations, AA Grapevine and AA World Service. You know, every once in a while there get to be, despite the fact that we believe in principles and not personalities, every once in a while there get to be conflicts in this fellowship. Have y'all... <laughs> You're aware of that? I mean, I don't want to, I don't want to disillusion anybody, but, uh, and, and I think one thing that the Class A's may bring is one foot in and one foot out. And what happens on, it, it gives me a way of looking at my job that may be a little different than if it were a Class B. I don't have a dog in almost any race that's happening, any battle that's happening in this fellowship. I don't have a dog in that race. Uh, I, I, it doesn't come out of my history in the, in the service structure began when I was elected a trustee. <laughs> um, I don't, the issues are, are often um, new to me. I'm interested in finding out about them, but I'm not on one side or the other. I really am neutral. And that lets me define my role as the chair of the board. My role is very simple. It is not to have the answer. My role is not to have the answers. I don't have to have the answers. That's very relieving. I don't, I don't need to have the vision of what this fellowship should be. Uh, my role is to help the board develop its group conference, conscience uh, and to do that in a, in a substantial way. That's the only job I've really got. Uh, and that lets me be in a more neutral position than if this were an issue I, I deeply cared about one side or the other winning. Uh, and, and I think that can be helpful for the, for the Class A's as well. Um, one of the things that I've learned is there are no emergencies in AA. 
Uh, and that's been helpful for me uh, in, in a leadership position or a servant, servant of the servants. Let me take just a few minutes uh, to introduce an issue that, that I have found is running through our fellowship throughout the country, the countries, U.S. and Canada, and that's the concerns about spirituality and religion. And I heard it referred to earlier that we're not a religious sect and we're not a religious sect. I want to make that so clear that you can't even conceive of that possibility. You know, religion, and I'm, I'm, a, I'm a part of, they call, I, I prefer to call it institutional religion because I don't think we are very well organized, so I don't call it organized religion, <laughs> but of institutional religion. An institutional religion has a theology. We have a set liturgy. Uh, we have professionals who are running the organization. We have theological schools to train those professionals to do that liturgy and to, and to teach that theology. Um, uh, belief and faith are somehow connected, uh, and, you, and, and too many of the churches, frankly, think they have the answers and that their job is to get everybody to agree with them and to believe as they believe. Uh, and that's all in the head. Uh, spirituality is something quite different. Spirituality is something that absolutely everyone who gets up in the morning has. Uh, spirituality is any of those factors in our life that we cannot see that affect our life. That's a huge area. Spirituality is, uh, is things like hate and love, uh, anger and joy, uh, peace, serenity, uh, caring, helping, all of those kinds of things that, that go on between people um, that affect who I am and who I will be and how I will act. Everyone, however they may describe it, has a spiritual component in their lives. A part of their lives is spiritual. We are spiritual beings. Um, and, and because we are affected by whether people love us and care for us or whether people ignore us, whatever happens, uh, all of those things affect us. Um, we do not, in, in, a spiritual, in a spiritual program like this, have a creed. We do not have an official theology. We do not have a ritual. Now, there are some rituals that sometimes develop in groups, and I think we need to be a little careful of some of those. Um, in the southern portion of the United States, in the southwest region and in the southeast region, uh, they nearly always end AA meetings with the Lord's Prayer. And when we did that at the, at the International in San Antonio, I was surprised and, and frankly a little shocked because that feels awfully close to kind of mixing those together. I think we have to be very careful. I think that line between religion and spirituality needs to be maintained strongly in this fellowship. Uh, that doesn't mean I don't think you can't be religious. I'm glad for you to be religious, but don't try to make AA religious. Uh, I would consider myself reasonably religious. I'm one of those professionals paid <laughs> all of that. But I'd work very hard at not bringing any of that into this fellowship. And spirituality, while religion is often taught at the head level of theology, and here's the books, and here's the prayer book, and... Um, Spirituality is shared through story, and that's dramatically different. Um, the, uh, um, and the sharing of spirituality moves the other person 
at the level of the heart. It's not about communicating something intellectual. And I think if we, if we don't keep this line clear, uh, then we're going to end up confusing head and heart, and that's not going to help us in carrying the message. What changes people's lives is when they hear their story on another person's, on another alcoholic's lips, and that story is a story of hope, not of despair. And that's when suddenly someone can get that first vision that there can be another way and can become a part of this fellowship. Um, the, um, we really, it gets dangerous sometimes. And, and, you know, when newcomers come in, there are very few people who enter AA with a healthy, conscious contact with God. <laughs> it just doesn't happen a lot. Uh, and, and too much talk about God in the group, I think, can be a barrier. And I think we have to be very careful about that. Um, people, we're all on a spiritual journey because we're all spiritual beings. Uh, and we're all in different places on, in that journey. Uh, and when someone comes in who has enough faith to be an atheist, which I could never have, um, that takes a lot of faith. Uh, agnostic, I could do that. But atheist, I would have a hard time. But if someone comes in, that, if that's where they are in their spiritual journey, I think that's fine. And our job is to help them understand where they are in their spiritual journey, to help them see where the strengths in that, uh, for them are, and to help them see where they can grow. And that's all the job we have. We do, we, it is not our job to convince them that our way is a better way and they ought to take our way, which is what we end up doing if we're not very, very careful. Uh, we have a pamphlet that's presently... Uh, being developed, uh, which is a pamphlet on, and doesn't have a title yet, I don't, I don't think it's got a working title, but it's going to be on, on, a, on uh, various spiritual experiences within AA and will include stories from atheists and agnostics, and a lot of people are upset by that. Uh, I'm really excited about it, because I think one of the things that those of us who have a, a theistic faith uh, miss is the real spiritual qualities of those who do not have that kind of faith. But they're still a spiritual person. They've still found spiritual support in, in, in this fellowship. And they uh, uh, have a story to tell. And the way we communicate spirituality is in the stories. And that's why this pamphlet will be mostly story. It's not going to have any theology about whether you should, what you should or shouldn't believe. But it's going to have a... a one of the widest diversity of spiritual stories because they're all spiritual. Uh, and I'm very excited about it, and I haven't seen them yet, but I know we've gotten a lot of stories in, and, and I'm looking forward to, to seeing this when it comes out. As someone who is an ordained minister, it took me a long time, even longer than it took me to find AA. I mean, I found y'all after about 10 years, uh, after 10 years of enabling. <coughs> uh, I finally began to be a part of a help rather than a hindrance. The, um, but it took me even longer than that, I think, to realize that God doesn't need my protection. Um, God is so much bigger than my understanding. Beyond that understanding, if a person is open to spiritual realities that surround us, then let God work that. I don't need to... I don't need to to manage another person's spirituality. I have a hard enough time managing my own. Uh, and and uh, God just doesn't need our protection. Uh, 
let's let each person find their own way with the God of their understanding wherever they are in the journey. And guess what? They will grow. And yeah, thank you. Our focus is on powerlessness, that we are powerless over this illness. And we need to find a higher power. And that, I think, always begins with the group. Um, and, and for some, it can go beyond that. But for all of us, it means staying in the group because that's where the power is met, experienced, and transforms lives. Uh, that's why Willie and I had to start a group. Uh, we couldn't do it together, just the two of us. Uh, and that's why that group changed my life. Uh, so anyone who shows up for a meeting is on a spiritual journey, and we don't need to do anything more with them than that, and invite them to be here. They're here because they want to stop drinking, and that's all we need, and that's the only requirement for entrance into this fellowship. Uh, one of the things that I learned, and I'm sorry to say I learned the hard way, is that I cannot intervene. I had a car. Uh, I'm driving down the road, and this car's coming right at me, and, and it kind of veered a little bit and went off into the ditch, and the guy turned over, and uh, I helped him get out of the car, and he really reeked. I mean, this guy was really, and he said, did you see that car run me off the road? And I said, no, I didn't see the car, but I can smell your breath, and I know why you ran off the road. And, and so here's a real opportunity for an intervention, right? I blew it because I thought I could explain to him what Alcoholics Anonymous was about. And I even got his address. I went by the house, um, and I'm uh, he may be in the fellowship today, or he may be dead, but he didn't get here because of my words to him. Because what brings hope is when the, uh, when the active alcoholic hears their story on the lips of a recovering alcoholic. And, and I don't think there's any other way to bring hope at that point. And what I learned is that as a professional who often... Um, and, you know, clergy, I can, I'm one of the few professionals that can go knock on any member of my parish's house and say, I'd like to come in and talk to you. And I'm welcome. And that's a real opportunity. And, and where there were homes, families that were in trouble, or, or even better, if there was a, an arrest or something that produced a crisis, I learned that what I needed to do was to get a member of the fellowship and we would go visit. Not me the two of us together, and I could talk to the family about the family aspects of this illness, but it was the member of AA who could talk to the person who had just been arrested or, or who was in crisis and, and bring a, 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 a message of hope that I knew I could never do. So when professionals want to be involved in some way of, of supporting and helping this fellowship, we need you. And one of the ways that you can help uh, is, is to talk to the professionals you have a relationship with. The lawyers, I'm sure you don't have a relationship with lawyers, but you might have a relationship <laughs> with a lawyer. Doctors, clergy, uh, any professional that you, judges, uh, that you have a personal relationship with, let them know that you're a member of this fellowship. And you'll know in about 30 seconds if they're receptive to hear a little bit more. And then you can share some of your story. And you're welcome to even say, Ward Ewing, 
who is a non-alcoholic trustee, said, I should talk to you because you need my help. <laughs> or however you want to say that. But it, it's, it was, you know, Willie walking into my office that changed my life. Uh, there's a message of hope and a message of strength in this fellowship that, that needs to be shared with so many. I understand at this point there are 30 active alcoholics for every member of AA. There's lots of opportunity, lots of opportunity. And the professional community can be helpful, but we can't do it on our own. We can only do it with you and with your help. A unity day. Uh, the first tradition is really, it is the first tradition um, that personal recovery depends on AA unity. Uh, and this is an example of, of that happening and of strengthening that. It's just been, been fabulous. I think Barb said it most directly. Uh, without you, I would not be sober today. Without you, she would not be sober today. And that's a deep, deep truth. If you look at 12 and 12, it's a pretty short chapter on the first tradition. I think it's like two and a half pages or something, which is probably as short as Bill ever was. Uh, But it's an important chapter because it's very clear that it's the group that brings the power that keeps you sober today. It's not the steps. It's not the great wisdom and insight. It's the group. That's where the power is. A few years ago, I I I wrote a a book on power and powerlessness, and I talked about AA in that book. And I I talked about the fact that without the group, the steps can do almost nothing. There's great power in the steps, but that power is experienced in the fellowship. Imagine trying to take the steps and work them without talking to anybody else, other than the fifth step. You have to talk to somebody. But... Just imagine trying to do that. That doesn't work. It gets phony. In fact, I've had people who wanted to do that with me. They wanted me to to sort of be their counselor, and, and, and we would talk about each step, and they would work through the steps, and it would change their life, and I said, baloney. Actually, that's not exactly what I said. (laughs) Uh, But um, you can't do it uh, as an individual because the real power is in the unity of the fellowship. And there are lots of ways we experience that. I know all of you know, have, have had that experience of someone sharing their story and you're not getting anything out of it. And then the next person that shares, you suddenly connect and there's a, there's a real uh, heart-to-heart, gut-to-gut kind of connection that, that means so much. Uh, and it's the diversity in the community that, that helps to make that clear because sooner or later, if we stay in this fellowship, we will find people who, who speak to us like, like they lived inside my own head. Uh, and and that's, that's incredibly powerful. When my children were young, uh, my wife and I decided that loving is a tag team sport. You know, I came home one day and as I drove in the driveway, I heard the door slam the front door slammed, and I met her on the walk, and she said, he's yours. <laughs> <laughs> Loving is a tag team sport. And part of what we need in, in, as human beings is to be loved and accepted. And frankly, there are very few of us who are so loving 
and so wonderful that everybody just loves us all the time. <laughs> but in a community of people, there's nearly always somebody there that day that can respond to our needs and, and help us understand that we are a valuable human being. It takes a group to be able to do that, to love us into health. So it is the, the unity of the fellowship that provides the power that transforms lives, that brings healing and hope and new life. Now I've got to get to the spiritual. The understanding spiritual principle behind that, the reality that makes that possible, is trust. AA is a very different kind of organization. You know, this is not a corporate structure or a business. We don't have a lot of, of, of rules and, and, and your, your leaders are elected not to govern but to serve. And we don't have a lot of rules that say if you don't do this right, you're going to be out or we're going to cut your salary or, or anything like that. This is, a, this is not a, a business that operates under legal structure. But rather, uh, this is a fellowship that I haven't quite figured out yet how it operates. It's the most democratic organization I've ever been a part of. I remember my first board meeting, and I know many of you know Bob Pillow, uh, and he had just come back from, from um, uh, the northern area of China, of, China, of Canada. Uh, uh, and, and dealing with the, with the native peoples there. And the debate was whether or not he could, ex whether AA could accept, the general service could accept payment that the government of Canada was willing to make for people who were, who were providing service to the First Nations peoples. And that was a two and a half hour conversation. I will confess, uh, because I think honesty is so important in this fellowship, that I didn't stay awake through all of it. <laughs> I got a couple of little catnaps in there, but I was moved by the conversation and the care about the seventh tradition and what that meant and, and whether we could accept. And finally, the, the, the conclusion ultimately was, if this is provided for everyone who goes uh, to to the First Nations to provide service, then we could accept that. It wasn't, an ex it wasn't a contribution to AA as, as such. That may or may not be right, but that's where we ended up. But we took two and a half hours to do that. Now, I've never been in a group that did that before. So it's, it's a very different kind of organization. We're a fellowship, uh, not a business. Uh, and critical to that fellowship is your participation. And when we talk about the importance of service, uh, that's critical to what we are, uh, to our very nature, to being a fellowship. And trust is the foundation that allows that kind of fellowship to function. Without trust, AA simply could not function. Uh, imagine if every time someone got up to speak, if at every business meeting, if at every level of, of, of the structure, at the, at the district level, at the area level, at the region, at the general service conference, if we were automatically suspicious that everyone who spoke had an agenda and they were out to manipulate something for themselves and we couldn't really trust them. I mean, just imagine that. What an awful situation we would be in. So we begin by trusting. And, and 
It's a kind of trust not only in the individuals, but a trust in the process. Uh, I think that's why the minority voice is so important. That's why we take the time it needs to hear every voice, because every voice is important. And, and even when, we're, when, when uh, an individual is convinced that the fellowship is moving in the wrong direction, there's a trust that we are a self-correcting fellowship, that we can go in the wrong direction. It's not the end of the world because we can always correct it. This level of trust that I've experienced in, in, in this fellowship, uh, I find quite amazing, frankly. Uh, and it is, uh, it's what allows us to function. Uh, what I want to kind of share is to say that's a gift. And when you talk about gratitude, I think one of the things that we need to have gratitude for is the trust that every member of this fellowship has in the fellowship and in one another. Uh, you can't, despite the common phrase, you cannot earn a person's trust. If someone distrusts me, it doesn't matter what I do, they will continue to, to assume motives, assume uh, other reasons for my doing it, and continue to distrust me. Now you can violate trust and you can destroy a trust, and I consider uh, acting in a trustworthy manner the most sacred obligation of anyone who is a servant leader within this fellowship, including myself, that being trustworthy is, is the single most important thing we must do. Uh, but even then, you can't earn the trust. The trust is always a gift. It's like love in that sense. You can't earn love. Uh, do you know the difference, for example, between being laid back and lazy? person that thinks you're laid back loves you. The person that thinks you're lazy doesn't. <laughs> Same person. Trust is like that. We have to choose to trust. And if I trust you, it's, it, it's, it's a gift that I've given you. And if you trust me, that's a gift that you've given me. Uh, it's, it's about choice. And it's that mutual trust that allows the kinds of conversations that run on too long um, and that allows the honoring of the minority voice. It's that mutual trust that allows us with all of our differences and all of our different experiences to come to common solutions uh, to the issues that we face as a fellowship. And so it is as a part of this incredibly remarkable fellowship that doesn't run on rules it runs on serving and on trust, that out of some kind of mutuality that we develop, we will go to any lengths to reach out to the still-suffering alcoholic. It is remarkable, and, and uh, I have to say I'm absolutely, truly privileged to be able to serve you and to be a part of you, and I thank you. Thank you.